ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. It's fair to say menopause and perimenopause have long been a taboo subject. This is what happens when you have the menopause. No! 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 <laughs> Darling, no, it can't be. I'm 42. She's 42. <laughs> Eddie and Patsy from AbFab aghast at the idea that they could be menopausal. Women going through menopause is often the butt end of the joke. But the fact is, it's a period of life that affects 51% of the population. Today in Australia-wide, seeking help with menopause in regional Australia. Author Kaz Cook is going to join me. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia-wide, coming to you from Wajuk Country, Perth. We start in North Queensland, where one of Australia's biggest copper mines is set to close. Mining giant Glencore today announced it will cease all copper mining operations at its Mount Isa site by 2025. So that's in two years' time. Our reporter, Emily Dobson, is in Mount Isa. Now, Emily, what was the reason Glencore gave for the closure of the Mount Isa copper operations? It's been attributed to low ore grade and ageing infrastructure. And look, it's no longer economically viable to extract copper from these sites. It has been sustaining the the community of Mount Isa for 60 years. So understandably, quite old, quite a, quite a long-standing uh, relationship with the town. And so that really, this news has understandably delivered quite a, a knock to the community. Yeah, mining is the backbone of Mount Isa. How many workers does it affect? Uh, Sam Strohmeyer, the Chief Operating Officer of Glencore Australia's Zinc Assets, in an exclusive interview with the ABC this morning, let us know that there would be 1,200 employees impacted directly. And it's not about redundancy as of yet. They're going to be going through individually a case-by-case basis of employees looking at retention of staff, redeployment to other active mine sites in the region and at worst-case scenario, redundancy. So 1,200's the figure, but whether that's job loss at this point, they're still not sure. Emily, to what extent did this take the community by surprise? What sort of things are you hearing in the community today? I think that a lot of people do understand that mines have a beginning, a middle and an end, and this was always going to be a finite resource. But because it had been sustaining the community for over half a century, it still caught so many people by surprise. Uh, it's, it's something that's been a rumour in the community for over a decade. You always hear the whispers of a new company potentially looking to buy this site. Maybe it would be closing, someone sniffing around. But as always, any big news like this has definitely taken the community by storm, with some people mentioning that they felt that Mount Isa was the last one to know about it. The community found out last after everyone else had seemed to be talking about it. Well, let's hear from business owner Travis. The ABC spoke to him. Let's hear what he had to say. I'm not about scared, but it's obviously concerned. I mean, um, we've seen the ebbs and flows of mining. I mean, we've had um, from lockdowns and um, shutouts, you know, and we've lived through those. You know, even going through COVID, I mean, there was, did have an effect with us. So, I mean, we, we, the mines as such has probably turned the town into turmoil over the years. Um, this is probably, probably the big announcement. I suppose there's a bit of misinformation come out when it first dropped. Um, and not knowing exactly what it is. And then obviously they've had their talks today and we've got a little bit more information. Obviously, we'd like to hear more information come about. I mean, love to see the government hopefully come in and come and offer some solutions rather than just thoughts and prayers. Um, so, you know, it's sort of, 
it's a town that we need population um, to continue to grow. I mean, and then we need those opportunities. And I mean, it'd be nice to see the government start to acknowledge that regional towns need a lot more support than just putting all their money into that southeast corner. That's um, business owner Travis speaking to the ABC a little earlier. Now, Travis, Emily sounds a bit shell shocked there. Um, and and you know, as you said, it's twelve hundred workers, but it's not just twelve hundred workers. It's their families. It's the kids that go to the school and everything that comes with having that work population. Has there been any kind of reflection on what this might mean for the future of Mount Isa or is it a bit too early for that because people are a little shell-shocked? The feel around town is one of complete uncertainty at this point. For some, it was a long time coming, but the delivered blow today has, has really hit hard. For others, this is just something they couldn't foresee. Travis Crowther there, he is a local business owner that supplies directly to the mine, was actually looking at expanding his business and is now going to take a step back, give himself six months and rework around whether or not that's a viable option for him anymore. And it seems that most small businesses are doing the same. They're really taking the time to pour and take stock of their local business and really asking for calm in the community. One real estate agent that I spoke with earlier today said that his phone had been ringing off the hook with really concerned people wanting to get their house on the market, get their house off the market, quite calling through in a panic. And it's quite understandable, really, but there's a warning against that. Uh, John Tully was asking you to cool your heels if you're in Mount Isa and really panicking at this point. Travis Crowther made mention of the government and the kind of support that he'd like to see from them. What did the state government have to say about the news of the closure? Treasurer uh, Cameron Dick has offered a support package that was announced earlier today and that's going to provide some relief to Mount Isa but there's a lot of questions surrounding when that money will come through and what it will actually be able to help with. Let's hear from Cameron Dick and that's the Queensland Treasurer. That support package uh, will be up to $50 million uh, to support uh, ongoing jobs in Mount Isa and supporting economic development and growth in the community. There are two aspects to that. Firstly, $30 million will be invested to accelerate mining projects, uh, particularly focused on Mount Isa. We know there is very strong demand for the half a trillion dollars in minerals that lay in the ground of the northwest of our state. That's Queensland Treasurer Cameron Dick. He's saying that the focus obviously is in in mining then for the region, that that's where they think the next lot of jobs will come from. Absolutely. We're in the Northwest Minerals province. It really is something that sustains so many of the small towns across Northwest Queensland. Uh, our local member, Rob Catter, the state member for Traeger, has expressed his understanding with the concerned community. He lives here just like so many other residents do and understands just how trying these times can be. He'd actually like to see the sale of this mine from Glencore to a smaller mine. Uh, that's something that we've seen in the past. Glencore had so- sold its uh, Ernest Henry project, which is just down the road in in Cloncurry, sold it to Evolution Mining, a smaller business. They have, in less than 18 months of ownership, extended the mine life of that particular asset by 17 years. And that's what State Member Rob Catter believes could be the case for this mine in Mount Isa. The copper project, uh, potentially, with a smaller mine coming on board, could extend that mine life and, and really help with this community unjust feeling at the moment. Emily Dobson in Mount Isa, I know it's a busy day for you, so thanks for talking to Australia Wide. Thanks so much. ABC Australia Wide. It would be really great to see even us bushies out here have access to the diagnostic and treatment services that we really need. On ABC Radio. So you'll never hear someone say, 
oh, you know, the member for blah, blah is very angry because it's just a given that men are allowed to be angry. Whereas women speaking out and not being polite and subservient, that's a put down and it gets used all the time. That's Tamara Smith, the Greens member for Ballina in regional New South Wales. She believes discrimination against women in menopause is rife and she's not the only one. Australian author Kaz Cook is also sick to the eye teeth of discrimination of women approaching midlife. You may not know it, but you probably have one of her books on your bookshelf. Whether you're up the duff or your partner was, you had babies and toddlers, or maybe you negotiated girl stuff with your teen or grandchild. Now, the next cab off the rank for Kaz Cook is menopause. And menopause is hot right now. And Kaz Cook is onto it, writing and asking about a subject that can be uncomfortable for both men and women to talk about. Is this it? Have you finally gone round the friggin' pipe? I hardly recognise myself these days. I love it here. I'm Shirley the Brave. Shirley the Marvelous. Shirley Valentine. The movie Shirley Valentine in 1989 was a surprise hit. It actually had a woman in her mid-40s actually on screen. And it talked about things that movies didn't normally talk about. Kaz Cook joins me now. It does seem, Kaz Cook, that menopause is a trending subject with celebrities right now. Why is it so hot right now? Don't start me about the celebrity portrayal of menopause, which, of course, is uh, after you've had your last period. But perimenopause is the time leading up to it and around it where you have all these symptoms. Um, But that's not what the celebrities talk about. They pretty much are trying to flog us moisturiser and they're talking about what we look like. I mean, obviously, some of them are talking about other things as well. But I spoke to 9,000 – well, I didn't speak to them – individually, but but almost 9,000 ordinary, real women uh, were in my survey for my book, It's the Menopause. So that meant I had 75,000 comments, quotes, um, advice, questions, cries from the heart mm-hmm. um, from women about perimenopause and menopause and what they'd been through. And for me, in my mid-40s, I had all these mental symptoms, which I had no idea were related to menopause. And I think many people have this experience. So brain fog, lack of concentration, um, feeling sad, uh, feeling anxious, uh, a real plummet in self-esteem. I even lost confidence in driving. Um, Many women in the survey talked about withdrawing from their friends. So, you know, and that can happen five years before there are any physical symptoms like hot flushes. But what you're describing there is this kind of fog that women are negotiating, both themselves and their partners, not really knowing what's going on. And that's because there hasn't been discussion around it. Why has it been such a taboo subject? Because it's something 50% of the population goes through. I think partly because of the ignorance that so many symptoms are connected with it. But there's also the stigma, right, that that hundreds of years ago, women who went through menopause were considered to be witches. And we don't quite have that anymore, but we still have this, oh, older women are invisible, older women are not worth listening to. And it's certainly the case that in workplaces, a lot of women are losing heart and thinking that they're being discriminated against. Some companies have paid millions of dollars in in compensation. It is going to be a whole new world about menopause and and the... um, 
that change from the, the stigma, the silence? Interestingly, in the survey, I had one woman who said, hey, I'm from an Italian family. We talk about everything. And another woman said, well, I'm from an Italian family, so we never discuss anything. Right. Medical, so yeah. people even have different idea, different cultural ideas in their own family. It sounds like an Irish family. Um, when it comes, to, we heard <laughs> from Tamara Smith off the top there, and you said that the that whole witch side of things has you know no longer exists. But there's certainly this thing about being angry that middle aged women are angry and therefore threatening, and they're tired with this brush. Why is that? Well, I think some of us are. I mean, I did get furious when I was going through perimenopause. And I think a lot of women, it's not just hormonal, although it is a recognized symptom of perimenopause. It's also because a lot of women are dealing with, they've got teenage kids at home, um, that they're going through all these perimenopausal symptoms. They might have a partner who's not helping them. They're doing everyone else's cooking, everyone else's washing. And I think a lot of women are fed up. So one of the things that I talk about is the other stuff that happens around about the time of menopause, and it can be hard to disentangle it all. You've touched on, you know, workplaces and making it better for workplaces. I mean, in regional Australia particularly, they can't afford to be losing valuable women with valuable experience. What did you find out in terms of research, in terms of what how women feel about their workplace? The good thing is that people that there there is more awareness of it now and that there are a lot of bosses who are developing uh, workplace policies uh, which of course doesn't help if you're um, working for yourself or on your own but it, it is very interesting to see that people want to know more about it and I think people um, can join together workers can join together talk about ways that they can change processes uh, even just lists and checking. Someone feeling that they can say, oh, my God, I'm having a hot flush. Let me just throw off my cardi. Just normalising the whole thing. Um, because as you say, it is something that 51% of of the population will go through. And I, I think I sort of make a plea for um, not having a, a work set up that is combative. So it's not young versus old. You know, young people bring new enthusiasm and new ideas. Older people bring experience. It shouldn't be women versus men either. What sort of information did you get about seeking doctor's help or any, you know, that sort of thing? Particular, I mean, in regional Australia, it's already hard to see a GP. How well informed are they about menopausal symptoms or perimenopausal symptoms? Well, you know, it won't surprise you to know and to hear that uh, for many people, having a good GP was like finding gold. And many women, hundreds of women talked about feeling dismissed by doctors, um, not having enough time to explain their um, problems. And that's why in the book, I I give um, all the trusted sources online that people can go to and understand that they're being, being given the best medical advice um, that they can get, the most uh, evidence-based advice, Um, because that at least gives you a head start when you do get your appointment. The other thing I would um, advise people is to book a long appointment with a GP if you can, write down the symptoms that you're having, Um, look in the book, or you can go to the Jean Hales organisation online or the Australasian uh, Menopause Society, which is... um, member doctors uh, who um, have a specialty in this area. So arm yourself before you go to see the doctor 
Um, but if you're getting fobbed off, then you need to find another doctor or ask for a referral to a specialist. And I know that it's easier said than done. Um, so would you suggest yeah. to women in the bush that online is your friend when it comes to this seeking out not, the right information? Not, not if you're just Googling. You have to go. And that's why there's a whole section in the book about where the trusted information is. Because if you just Google, you're going to get a whole bunch of celebrities trying to flog your stuff. You're going to get a whole bunch of wellness so-called products or herbal products that that will not help you uh, or that there are no evidence, uh, there's no evidence for. Um, but those ones I've just mentioned and the information in this book has been checked with experts. Um, so it's about being... Uh, and I know people uh, in the bush already do this. They're smart about where they find their um, their information. But unfortunately, especially in the next few years, we – I mean, and I've read lots of articles in, in the finance press talking about how – not talking about women as people, but the target market mm, for selling stuff too. Mm. Yeah. Some more practical advice um, for women living in the tropics. What about hot flushes? Any practical oh, oh. advice there? <laughs> yeah, fall in the swimming pool as often as possible. <laughs> <laughs> it is really tough. It is really tough. I think one of the things, there are a lot of interesting things about hot, hot flushes that I found um, is to talk to people, um, to, to um, tell them that it, that it might happen and to be very matter of fact about, about it when it does happen. There's, there's good evidence that if you are talking to a class, you're a, you're a teacher or you're a nurse who's explaining things to a patient, sometimes people misinterpret a hot flush as someone being embarrassed or anxious mm. or um, that they're fibbing because they're sweating fibbing. or that Oh. Yeah, because sweating is, a, is an old-fashioned sign of, of lying, right? Right. So... People can often misinterpret. And when I first started getting um, hot flushes, I thought they were anxiety attacks because I wasn't expecting them. So the more you know, the better. And the more that you've got support around you and the more that you just – and apparently I do say try and behave like Meryl Streep because – well, just in general. But also because (laughs) apparently when she's being filmed making a movie and she she used to get hot flushes, she would just say, oh, hot flush, hot flush, and the makeup people would rush in. And and it's it's just – a fact of life, but the, for some people, they'll only get a few hot flushes, and it doesn't affect their life much. But but get this: one of the women responding to the survey was in her eighties and still getting oh. hot flushes, and yeah. that woman should have been helped by a doctor mm. um, because there's many. Even if you can't take menopausal um, therapy because of um, whatever personal uh, medical reason, uh, there are other things that you can, that you can take. So, yeah. Uh, finally, Kaz, I do want to ask for some for some advice for men. I observed one day at the bowling club. I was down for a beer, and I watched mm-hmm. a man. And I was just like, I watched what he did. So he, it was warm. There was three women. Uh, they were probably in their late forties, early fifties, and they're sitting around the table. And off he went, and he came back with a big fan. It was a battery operated fan, and set it up on the table in front of them, and everyone was happy. <laughs> Uh, yes, a little bit of understanding and a small electrical device <laughs> goes a long can make way. everybody feel better. <laughs> but I was wondering, have you any other advice for men who may be walking side by side with a partner well, going yes. through this? Read page 36 of It's the Menopause, which is that list of 35 or so possible symptoms and understand that your partner might have some of them, they won't have all of them and they won't have them all at once. But if you are forewarned, then you're forearmed. You've just got to 
be helpful and yeah st- and and just go through it as a, as a partner as you would go through anything else with people Kaz Cook, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. It's The Menopause is available in all good bookshops now. Thanks, Sinead. ABC Australia Wide. I think it's wonderful. I think everyone should come and see it. On ABC Radio. And finally, a story of why it's so important to have defibrillators available in regional Australia. Our reporter, Sophie Holder, has this extraordinary story from South Australia's Mid-Murray region as to why access to defibs are so important in remote areas. The day Chris Sims saved her husband's life multiple times had started like a pretty normal day. The couple were waiting for the ferry to cross the River Murray from Cornamont to Penong in South Australia's Mid-Murray region. Just days earlier, the pair had laid concrete around a Cornamont town sign funded through a grant Chris had worked for. We'd stopped for the ferry to get to the, our side of the river and I said to my husband, oh, you might as well get the star droppers from the stein while we're waiting. So he did that, off he went, grabbed them, walked back to the car, put them in the boot, got on the uh, driver's side, and then he blacked out. Mrs Sims jumped into action, beckoning the nearby ferry operator to call triple zero. I'd said to the ferry operator, quick, you need to get the defibrillator, you ring triple O. Meanwhile, I started CPR. I started the defibrillator up and the defibrillator therefore told me pretty much what to do with the whole process of giving electric shocks and um, CPR and all the rest of it. Eventually, my husband started making some gurgly sort of noises and I said, oh gosh, what's going on? And they're saying, it's okay, you can put him into recovery position because he's starting to breathe by himself. So I rolled Andrew over, put him into recovery and then he stopped breathing again. Mrs Sims was forced into action again. This time, though, once I did get Andrew um, breathing again, he was making the worst rattly sort of noises and I oh, I didn't know what was going on. And again, the operator um, said, I think he's taking his last breaths because it was, as what I've been told now, a death rattle. <laughs> it was horrible. It was just totally traumatic and I'm going no this is not going to happen and so I just tried and tried and tried anyway I am very thankful I got my husband breathing again. Mr Sims had multiple cardiac arrests that day two by the river and another in the back of the ambulance as he was rushed to the local Manham district hospital. Eventually he was airlifted to the Royal Adelaide hospital where he spent several days in a coma. When the 55-year-old finally woke up, he was surprised to find himself in a hospital bed after blacking out. I was informed by Chris that uh, I had a cardiac arrest and that I'd died a few times and I'd been uh, revived by uh, both my wife Chris and uh, the ambulance service. Now 57, Andrew has a second chance in life and is grateful for his wife's support. Just happened to be in the right place at the right time. I could have easily had uh, the cardiac arrest anywhere, um, but having it there at that time with my wife there who'd done first aid and also with a defibrillator on board made me the luckiest person on earth on that day. Angela Lucas is a first aid trainer and says it can be especially important for defibrillators to be available in regional communities where hospitals can be further away. The quicker things happen, the more chance of survival people have got and that the defib can actually help increase survival rates by up to 70%. Obviously, you know, if nothing happens, then nothing happens and that's fatal. So if you get in and help out in any way, then their chances of survival just jump up dramatically. And if you've got a defib happening, then that increases that chance of survival 
quite significantly. Now, Chris is rallying for more people in communities like hers to install defibrillators. I think every single facility now, like school, library, everything, a community hall, they all should have a defibrillator in place. And I would really like if there were you know, more grants to help people get them in their communities, but also to run like a training course. I mean, I did it by fluke only because I'd read the little instruction booklet to work out how to put the battery in and where to put the little wires and all the rest of it. But the average person probably doesn't. And therefore you'd waste valuable time just trying to figure out how do I get this thing out of its packet and do something with it. So I would really like, even from my community here, I wish I could get a grant to be able to run a, a training course to, to show people how to use it. Chris Sims finishing that story from Sophie Holder and thankfully she had that information at her fingertips because she saved her husband's life. And that is Australia Wide for this Wednesday. Remember, you can listen to Australia Wide whenever you want to. You can subscribe to the podcast. The way to do that is go to the ABC Listen app, search for Australia Wide. Bob's your uncle, you'll find us. And if you can, subscribe while you're there. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you have a lovely evening. Cheerio. Listen.